They made you take hot dimes, loose nickels, quarters, bags, and I don't know, I didn't make much salary, but I picked up a lot of change. Oh. I'll never forget, they'd see me coming, you know, they used to take a stack of dimes. They would put a stack of dimes. Welcome. Um, it is noon, and you are listening to Indigo Radio on WVEW 107.7 FM, Brattleboro. Um, we are currently not streaming. However, um, this show will later be available on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And um, the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guest and not the radio show. Um, so today in the studio, we have Becca Polk and myself, Nina Kunimoto. Becca, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a teacher in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm also a graduate of the local Spark teacher training program. Um, that's here. That's through Marlboro, but it's here in Brattleboro, and it's a one-year pro- master's program that um, teaches education for social justice and also provides people with a licensure to teach in the public schools K through 12. Absolutely, and I'm also a graduate of that program, and highly recommended. Um, and I am a local educator um, currently. And so just an overview of last week's show. Yeah, last week we re- actually replayed a show from this summer with Judy Dow, an Abenaki educator and um, activist. And she was talking about Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award and the reason why this children's book award should be changed. And the reason why we replayed that show last week is because Dorothy Canfield Fisher has popped up uh, again in our lives um, with a reenactment at the State House last week of this woman who was a proponent of the eugenics project. And so it brought up the larger question of why has Vermont never made a public statement against eugenics and an apology to both uh, the Native Americans, but also the poor French Canadians for the ster- for sterilizations and institutionalizations. Great. And this week, um, we interviewed Professor Kozue Akibayashi, who is a professor at Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. So we interviewed her. Um, she teaches in Japan. Uh, her focus and activism has been on the issues of militarism, militarization and demilitarization and decolonization, um, and al- analyzing them from a gender perspective. She is also the international president of WILPF, or Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and uh, we'll be having a conversation uh, around w- what we discussed. So, um, so basically, today's theme is uh, U.S. military bases around the world, but more specifically in Japan, and the resistance against U.S. military bases, specifically in Japan, in Okinawa, um, and and other resistances. And also, um, Professor Akibayashi talks specifically about um, the problem of sexual assault around bases. So uh, before we get into that, we will kick off the show with uh, Chibana, and who sings Tamino Domino, um, which means translates to People's Domino. And this song was written after a U.S. military helicopter from the Futenma U.S. Marine Base crashed into Okinawa International University in 2004. And that's not the only one that, that accidentally crashes into university. There's been um, 
bombs that accidentally drop on elementary schools um, in Okinawa. So Chibana was moved to write um, his best-known song, which um, is this, and he collaborates uh, with a local rapper called um, Kakumaku Shaka. あの、ま、いろんなもんでありますけど。え、僕らはこうやってお祭りしながら もっともっとでかい喜びを生み出そう辺野古。2007年 
Welcome back to Indigo Radio. You're listening to uh, WVEW FM 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And um, the song you just heard right now was called Tamino Domino. And in the very beginning of the song, you there was a bit of speaking, and they were addressing the crowd. Um, and it was a crowd that is that was there um, protesting against um, the U.S. military base being built in Henoko. And so today's topic is resistance against U.S. military bases, specifically in Okinawa in Japan. Um, so we're going to actually start out more broadly uh, about talking about military bases across U.S. military bases across the world. So Becca? Can- yeah. So there are at least 800 um, official military bases, but we know the number is much higher. We, uh, the U.S. has military bases in over 70 countries and territories abroad, and these bases form what the U.S. considers a strategic global network in which they can go to war anytime, anywhere. And the question is, um, who does this provide security for? Because we know that the people who are living around the bases don't feel secure with the military presence. Um, Just thinking about some of the major U.S. military bases in the Philippines, across the United States, in Texas, one comes to mind, in Guam, South Korea, Hawaii, Okinawa, Puerto Rico. Those are all places with contention around U.S. military bases. And these are all places where the U.S. is supposedly not in war. So we're not even just talking about military bases in the current wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but these are bases that are permanent to be able to use strategically when the U.S. military is needed. Right. And then you think, well, when are those moments? And so I'm just going to read this quote by uh, uh, Irakli Savad. Daridis, Secretary of the World Peace Council, who says that the establishment of U.S. military bases should not, of course, be seen simply in terms of direct military ends. They are always used to promote the economic and political objectives of U.S. capitalism. For example, U.S. corporations and the U.S. government have been eager for some time to build a secure corridor for U.S.-controlled oil and natural gas pipelines from the Caspian Sea in Central Asia through Afghanistan and Pakistan to the Arabian Sea. And this region has more than 6% of the world's proven uh, oil reserves and almost 40% of its gas reserves. So the war in Afghanistan and the creation of U.S. military bases in Central Asia are viewed as key opportunities to make such pipelines a reality. And so today we're speaking more specifically about Japan. And um, these bases are located in in southern Japan, in Okinawa, which are actually used um, as training grounds and um, sort of uh, storage facilities for weapons. Um, And according to an independent Australian journalist, John Pilger, it is also part of the 400 bases starting in Australia, circling the Pacific through Japan and into Eurasia in order to encircle China, kind of, as he says, like a noose, which is another topic altogether. And this is amazing because we never in the public media and in public discourse in the United States really hear about military in the Pacific, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, the Philippines, yes. Um, But I think it's so important to look at the history that of the U.S. military 
Um, it, I, it was astounding to me to find out about the Battle of Okinawa that lasted a couple weeks, yeah. and over 200,000 people, mostly Japanese civilians, died in 1945. Now, this was right before the United States dropped the nuclear bombs yeah. on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And to think about that, the fact that the people have been resisting the U.S. military presence since that time. Yeah. So in the first part of our interview with Professor Kozue, um, Kozue Akibayashi, um, just to reintroduce her, she is a professor at Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. She is also the international president of Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Um, and in this first section, we kind of contextualize military bases in Japan. of graduate studies at Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan, and you are the international president of Women's International League uh, for Peace and Freedom, and you're an activist. So tell me about your work as an activist. Um, okay, I am a researcher slash activist. So yes, I am uh, an activist but uh, and, and researcher, researcher slash activist, uh, whatever that is. I my my activism and and research are not the different. Mm. Um, it's I but as an activist, I'm more focused on taking action, mm-hmm. and that is on uh, that is on the sexual violence in uh, in Okinawa by committed by U.S. soldiers, mm-hmm. and in order to stop and abolish sexual violence in uh, by soldiers. In, in Okinawa, we said, my colleagues and I believe that we need to close uh, the bases in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's something that I have been working on with my uh, my friends and colleagues in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. I, uh, and along with that line, we believe that uh, the entire notion about security has to be changed. This, this is about demilitarization. Mm-hmm. So we call for a demilitarization of security both thinking um, and um, and policies. Okay. We have built transnational network of women, mm-hmm. feminists, uh, who share the same um, idea. Mm-hmm. And my activism is to connect these women um, worldwide and uh, make a, a larger movement. I'm also, I've been also doing um, bringing, um, bringing uh, peace on the Korean Peninsula mm, okay. again with uh, other feminist activists. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, later on, I'm going <laughs> to ask a little bit more about um, uh, working against uh, sexual violence in Okinawa, but I wanted to start right. out actually um, talking more about the sure. region and about Japan. Um, I I saw your interview on Democracy Now! and you had mentioned that the United Mm -hmm. States and and Abe and his followers are pushing to repeal Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution, Mm -hmm. which was written by the United States after World War II. And Article 9 states that Japan may not have a military, although Japan has a defense, self-defense force. If Japan rearms itself and becomes a country with an active military, what might the regional consequences or ripple effects be? Um, and who might benefit from arrangement? I don't think anybody would be benefited from this arrangement, but some people make profit mm. out of it. Okay. If Japan has 
uh, more active, uh, aggressive military. We do already have a very large-scale um, state-of-the-art, full-fledged military, unfortunately, mm-hmm. despite the fact that we do have this Article 9 mm-hmm. that states not only the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, that renounces mm-hmm. uh, war as a means to, dis- uh, to, to solve international dispute, mm-hmm. and it also renounces the, the position of, of the armed forces. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been over how long almost 70 years mm-hmm. since um, the uh, something like military force uh, was started. Right. Um, again, by the United States, where there were Japanese who wanted to have, you know, who wanted to who wanted to have the other military again. Mm-hmm. Um, this this will this would have this will, this has had um, impacts regionally, and if we upscale the military, if uh, if, if this military is legitimized. Mm-hmm. By revising the Article Nine of our Constitution, that mm-hmm. would uh, that would be very detrimental, I think, to the other region, mm-hmm. uh, because Japan has been always seen as um, how do I put it? <laughs> we never really had a chance to redress mm-hmm. the colonial. Mm-hmm. Um, rule of uh, Korean Peninsula or China. Right. And um, and uh, Japan did not um, did not apologize or mm-hmm. compensate right. um, all these uh, wrongdoings and damages done to people in Korean on the Korean Peninsula and China. Right. So yeah, there, and I, I so heard, the, the the trust would be, and uh, we we would lose a chance to uh, to build a trust in the region. I heard that um, that Prime Minister Abe in in a recent um, a speech had not sort of um, hadn't put any weight. Towards, I think it was for for the um, Hiroshima Nagasaki and the surrender. Like he didn't put any kind of like feelings or any kind of um, uh, sorrow. Sorry, it was a Japanese lesson. So I'm thinking about it in Japanese, but it, he didn't give any a speech with no like weight to the apology um, towards Korea and China, mm-hmm. where the, the emperor did. Mm-hmm. He didn't, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah. And just out of curiosity, um, what sure. is what do you think is the motivation right now for Abe to want to militarize, or even the United States? You said the United States is is pushing this. What is their motivation? I think for the United States to to militarize uh, Japan has a lot to do with the uh, financial reasons because mm. the U.S. military, because the U.S. government cannot afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not only Japan, but other, you know, allies are being pushed to increase uh, military budget or uh, uh, military capability. Okay. So that is one. Uh, for the administration, they want to have um the the military as other countries do mm-hmm. okay and um 
and I think both of them it's um it's a it's a it's a very um it's a clearer manifestation of this um, macho thinking masculine thinking mm-hmm. about how a country should be with the uh, with the forest and okay. forest is everything. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. Um, You're listening to WVEW 107.7 FM, um, Brattleboro's community radio station. And the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and not the radio station. Um, You were just listening to an interview with Professor Kozue Akibayashi, um, who teaches at the Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan, and who is the president of Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And um, in the first segment, we were talking more about the larger context of why why there are so many military bases in Japan and also why um, why is there a push to remilitarize Japan? So... Um, yeah, Nina, I was wondering if you could um, explain how you think that push to remilitarize is connected to the rising nationalism in Japan right now. Absolutely. So, um, my so my image of Japan, like I used to live in a very central part of Tokyo called Shibuya, and um, every Sunday you had these very militaristic-looking people older younger waving the traditional imperial flag of japan which is the rising sun um it's it's different from from japan's flag today it's it's like the sun with the rays coming out um and they would you know with their uh megaphones like talk about how much the that the we must return to um uh or how Japan must return to um, worshiping the emperor and how Japan must return to becoming um, more of a a strong militaristic country. Um, And with Abe, he is really... So as I mentioned in, in in the interview, that when the U.S. occupied Japan, they wrote Japan's constitution, and the most contentious piece is Article 9, which says that Japan may not be an aggressive military. However, Japan does have a self-defense force, and Professor Akibayashi pointed out that um, that it already is a military, it just doesn't attack. I mean, I've been on these ships, like, they have missiles, like, they are a military, um, and so in Japan, there's there's this new surge of of ultra nationalism, um, and Abe has really been in the forefront of of nationalism, and pushing Japan towards um, repealing that Article Nine so that Japan becomes once again a an military. And of course, that upsets the countries around them because of the, the imperial history of Japan. Um, but also, in which they've never really like taken accountability for exactly. the atrocities in North Korea and exactly. Taiwan and China. No apologies, no acknowledgement, even in the textbooks. Um, so there's a lot swirling around that, um, and this ultra nationalism plus Trump thrown into the mix of it, pushing for it, um, is creating this big push towards 
of remilitarizing Japan as as a sovereign nation, as opposed to relying on solely on U.S. military for protection. Um, so um, we're going to... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. One more thing, Nina, to think about why the U.S. would want Japan to um, militarize mm-hmm. itself when they... It seems like the U.S. benefits a lot from having their military bases there and kind of being the protector of Japan, even though Japan is in the triad of imperialism, that right. they're one of the leading countries in pushing capitalism in the world absolutely um so that like i know that there's probably money to be made as professor um kozue uh talked about i don't know if you know how much money the u.s will be making from this um from this in particular i don't know but uh, um in 2013 um u.s corporations made 410 billion dollars in profits from just production of weapons and mm. and things like that um and and sold around the world mm. um but i mean currently with this whole thing with north korea and and i i'm not sure about china but definitely with north korea i think that's sort of also part of the mix of it is i don't think that the us military would pull out even if no. japan um militarized because the bases there are way too strategic for for u.s dominance in that region yeah so So, should we go into a song break yeah that's okay so we're gonna take a um uh, a short song break so all the songs today are japanese and um the the artists are selected because they are artists who created songs that um either are anti-nuclear or anti-war or anti-us base and so the next singer misako oshiro um has this song go- called um gumu chibujo which is a traditional okinawan song and in the next segment we'll talk um a little bit more specifically about sort of a two-tiered contradiction between sort of the U.S. military bases and Okinawa's history with Japan as a whole. So here is Misako Oshiro and Gumuchi Bucho.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And we are back talking about resistance to U.S. military bases in general, but also more specifically in Okinawa. And we interviewed Professor Kozue Akibayashi, who is a professor at Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan, and the international president of Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Um, in the first section, we talk more broadly about uh, U.S. military bases in Japan. But in this segment, we're going to narrow the, the topic down to talking about Okinawa specifically and some of the... Uh, impacts um, such as sexual assault and the environment. And so here is Professor uh, Kozue Akibayashi. So let's now move to the military bases, which essentially have been there since the end of World War II. And in fact, Japan's been occupied. And some might say that Japan is still occupied with all the bases that are in Japan right now, the U.S. military bases. Um, so if let's first talk about um, why Nawa, like 75% of the bases are in Okinawa. Some are spread out through Japan, but why Okinawa? Because Okinawa is... Uh the minority is mm-hmm. uh, Okinawa also was colonized by uh, by Japan in the modernization period mm-hmm. when Japan uh, Japan uh, the, the Japanese state uh, went to modernization Okinawa was uh, was annexed to or colonized uh, annexed to Japan or colonized uh, colonized by Japan and their status has always been uh, implicitly and explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan is not. Um, I don't think Japan is in the, uh, is occupied by the mm-hmm. U.S. military. Uh, there are yes, uh, mainland Japan. I mean, mm-hmm. the mainland Japan, and there are yes, there are U.S. military bases, and more bases are being used with the self defense forces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not only the U.S. military. Okay. Uh, Okinawa, however, however, as you put it, seventy. It's uh, the the number is a little bit tricky. It's probably a little less than seventy five percent of the U.S. military bases exclusively used by the U.S. military. You know, that's, that's the uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing. Um, is is located in Okinawa, 
And Okinawa had a very different history than mainland Japan even after 1945. Mm-hmm. Okinawa was directly uh, under U.S. military occupation from 1945 to 19, uh, 1972, mm-hmm. whereas the other parts of Japan was occupied yet by the Allied forces from 1945 to 1952. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, Japan went independent, where, mm-hmm. whereas Okinawa remained under mm-hmm. U.S. military occupation, and it was a military outpost. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. military could do anything right. uh, there, and that continues to this day. Right. Um, okay. And so now, um, let's talk mm-hmm. about the impact, and in particular, mm-hmm. uh, the sexual assault, and um, and there are other things too: environmental impact, accidental dropping of bombs sure. on schools. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, in Okinawa, in Okinawa, it's uh, you know it's it's everyday life. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, three days ago there was another helicopter crash in uh, in, mm-hmm. in the northern part of Okinawa. Um, the U.S. military said it was an emergency landing, but the uh, this transport uh, helicopter CH-53 mm-hmm. um, went down in uh, in in it's outside uh, the base actually, and burst into into flames. Wow. Um so you know to people in Okinawa it's an, it's another crash. Mm-hmm. And this the same type of uh, of aircraft uh again crashed on um, uh, university campus in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. That these are just the uh, one of the uh, the thousand well, it's not literally thousand, but mm-hmm. many, many yeah. cases of um um quote unquote accident. Right. Um that are Okina- people of Okinawa are exposed to. Since mm-hmm. 1945, um, sexual assault is another is another elusive right. uh, form of uh, military of the impact. And we, my colleagues and I, uh, problematize sexual sexual assault by soldiers mm-hmm. um, more because we believe that it um, it it shows the very very nature of the military uh, security policies in 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 the military. Mm-hmm. Which is so. Mm-hmm. <coughs> which is to, which is to, um, which is which is to, to to rely on again a force to solve uh, differences when there is rather than diplomacy, mm-hmm. and you exhibit your your power, your your force right. um, over the the other, and the military is a uh, is a very. Um, um, institute institution that um, the practice that uh, that notion sexual violence sexual assault right. as a, a form of um, um, in, a power right. um, executive of power over the weaker is we believe a, a result of that uh, the culture or the values of the of the military. And, I mean, well, sexual assault itself is, of course, a problem. Right. And in the U.S., uh-huh. I mean, if we look at the numbers of sexual assault, um, overall in the mm-hmm. population is one to five, but in the military, there's two populations that have the highest number of sexual assault in the United States, with one is um, Native American reservations, and the other is the military. And it's just really mm-hmm. interesting, and I get the sense, like, in very similar to um, Native American reservations here of, like, soldiers and and people going on reservations committing sexual assault without 
any repercussions without mm. any kind of like legal repercussions. Like there's, it's with complete impunity, basically. Um, is that what you're finding? Because they are they, they're not subject to mm. Japanese laws. Is that correct? Right. Um, uh, practically, yes. Uh, technically, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> but practically, uh, practically, yeah. yes. But they were, uh, the, the soldiers and other, um, military personnel are protected by something uh, called State Forces Agreement. It's a bilateral agreement in the United States and a host mm-hmm. nation mm-hmm. that stipulates uh, basically the legal status of uh, of soldiers and, and personnel stationed in a in, in host country. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. has the U.S. has concluded over 100 uh, State Forces agreements with uh, you know with different different countries, mm-hmm. and each of them uh, has it, has its own own uh, own, own articles and so forth. The one with the Japan, the one with the Japan, um, has uh, has an article that uh, that is about the jurisdiction. The first jurisdiction goes to the U.S. military mm-hmm. in case the other so first uh, personnel mm-hmm. commits uh, a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it says that um, it does say that, that those could be tried in the Japanese uh, in the Japanese court. However, the Japanese government and the U.S. government made a secret deal, which is mm-hmm. not secret anymore because it's revealed after many, many years, right. that uh, the Japanese government agreed that they would not uh, uh, they would not exercise their their right. Mm-hmm. They would try not to exercise their right, in, even in the case that uh, those soldiers were under local uh, local police uh, custody wow. uh, and so forth. So practically, mm-hmm. uh, yes, <laughs> right, is right. the answer to your, to your question. And and how bad is um, the problem uh, is sexual assault on in Okinawa? Uh, very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the number. number. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I we do not have the exact number. Uh-huh. Uh, the statistics about sexual assault mm-hmm. is is uh, is also uh, a problem culturally in in different uh, in in many cultures. Right. Um. So. It's very hard to find out the actual number. There are only one or two or three, maybe, that are reported yearly to uh, to 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 the to, uh, to the police. Right. But that, in, in general, we know that it's only it's on, it's it's only like ten percent or less mm-hmm. um, that goes to the police and report the case. Right. Um, but we see that um, we put uh, we try to put together a chronology of sexual assault mm-hmm. by U.S. soldiers in Okinawa since 1945. Mm-hmm. It has many, 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 many cases, of course. Not a single year went by without a sexual assault right. by by soldiers. So I think that shows how bad that is. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. Um, and we're on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And today we're talking about um, resisting U.S. military bases, specifically in Okinawa. And you just heard um, Professor Kozue Akibayashi of Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. Um talk more specifically about some of the problems around having bases um, in in the community. Um, and just to elaborate about um, Okinawa. So earlier I had said that it's sort of a, a two-tiered contradiction. Uh, one is the, the aspect of U.S. military military bases being in Japan, but the other is actually the relationship between Okinawa um, and Japan, the, the national Japan. So Okinawa was actually its own kingdom who was paying tribute to the Ming dynasty in China that they, they were their own, they have their own language. Um, and in fact, we could even view this problem as an indigenous problem or, or not indigenous problem, but like it's an indigenous issue. Um, and Japan annexed uh, the Ryukyu Islands, which are Okinawa today, in 1879, which was during sort of the Meiji industrializing period, um, and they imposed a forced assimilation um, of having to speak Japanese, having to take on the dominant Japanese culture, and also serving the dominant culture of Japan. Um, so, you know, th there is that two-tiered aspect to this mm. i mean i'm just trying to imagine daily life in okinawa the fact that out of the fifty thousand uh u.s troops mm -hmm. about two-thirds of them are housed in okinawa yeah. was one statistic that i read and okinawa is about the size of long island or smaller yeah. so we have 34 bases there and um I just imagine like the whole, if you look at most places that where there's a U.S. military base, the whole economy is surrounding the base. So people's lives are literally about pr producing and providing for the soldiers and their families who are at this base. But also thinking about um, some of the like violence that has come out of this base uh, with the wars in Korea, in the Korean Peninsula, but also the war in Vietnam, mm -hmm. just the impacts of peop on people's lives, let alone talking about the violence that occurs from quote-unquote accidents um, with military and weapons, and then adding on top of that another layer of the sexual assault that occurs. Yeah. It just seems like um, this is something that more people in the United States should know about, the repercussions of just soldiers living abroad on bases. Absolutely. And um, there's, there's an author by the name of David Vine. Um, he wrote a book, I think it was, came out last year, called Base Nation, How U.S. Military Bases Abroad Harm America and the World. And he has a section on um, bases and, and prostitution. And in fact, he argues that the U.S. military partakes in, in, hum in sex trafficking. Um, basically, that economy... Um, promotes sex trafficking, but also um, promotes sexual assault. And, you know, around the bases, it, it kind of like every base has this like circle around it, which is kind of a red light district with bars and brothels and, mm. and, and whatnot. 
um, and and women are preyed upon in in these areas and and like in my mind I just see like you know sexual it, the, the power dynamics like I just kind of correlate this type of like power and control very similarly to imperialism of how the U.S. is trying to gain control it's just sort of another layer of it yeah and I mean sexual assault is very prominent in uh, the United States and uh, us, I think under most capitalist societies mm-hmm. because there's this hyper masculinity yeah. and there's this um, a, a wanting of control and power over people. And that's like, I look at the military as serving that on a larger scale. So individuals within the military are being trained in this aspect um, to the extremes. And also that military person soldiers are also taught the dehumanization of everyone in order to see and people as the enemy. And so they start seeing each other and treating each other because it's not just sexual assault in the military against people, um, where the bases are located in other parts of the world. It's sexual assault is rampant, as you mentioned in the interview within the military. So soldiers are sexually assaulting other soldiers. And we're talking about from sexual harassment all the way to rape. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, due to time, we're going to move on, um, to, um, a really quick song break. And then we're going to, um, talk to Professor Kozue Akibayashi a little bit more about the resistance movement. Um, so the next song we're going to play is Keisuke Kuwata's Heiwa no Kyuka, which means peace of mind. Um, and, this song really speaks to Okinawa's bloody wartime sacrifices. Some of the bloodiest wars during World War II occurred on Okinawa. Um, and some of the lyrics, um, some of the words are, who decides this country was at peace and even before the people's tears have dried. So here is Keisuke Kuwata, Heiwa no Kyuka.
listening to Indigo Radio, 107.7 FM, um, Brattleboro's community radio station. So um, because we only have a few more minutes left, we definitely wanted to hear um, Professor Kozue talk about the resistance movements. And we'll, we'll finish that beautiful song at the end of our show. Um, so here is the last segment of the interview with Pro- Professor Kozue Akibayashi of Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. Let's talk a little bit now about resistance. Um, so there is a, a growing resistance. There's been resistance for a long time, I think, in Okinawa mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. um, the, the military out, to get the bases off. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that movement? Um, sure. It's like you said, um, it has a very, very long history. Mm-hmm. Probably goes back to the early 1950s when the U.S. military started to you know, boulders um, their, you know, their land. Mm-hmm. Um, for the past probably 20 years or so, we started to see more uh, intensified resistance movement because there are more, uh, there are plans to build new bases in Okinawa that started in 1997, thereabout. Um, Okinawa has a history of uh, of conducting nonviolent direct action mm-hmm. resistance. Um, you know, sit in at the uh, this construction site uh, was done in many many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to even 1950s and 80s and so forth. Um, the one currently going on since 1996, six, seven, they're about in the, in the Hanako area, mm-hmm. right. where the U.S. military. U.S. military and the U.S. and the Japanese government um, decided to build a new base. They say they say they call it a, old, um, a replacement of Fukushima Air Base, but um, yeah. it's a it's a, it's just a, a very different, a much more upscale uh, military military base, um, air um, airfield and uh, the runways actually runway and and um, port. Mm-hmm. Um, and direct uh, direct action started uh, around the time. Um, there are, uh, there were sitting something called sitting of the sea that started in 19, actually that that was done from 19, uh, two, uh, 2004 and 2006, mm-hmm. and that uh, again that started um, three years ago when the military buildup started to uh, to be intensified and more. Forcefully by the by the Japanese uh, government using uh, riot police and the Japanese Coast Guard who mm-hmm. who are very violent towards uh, non-violent resistors and right. many of them are elderly as you could uh, as you probably saw yes in some of the, uh, the documentary films yeah but that's the that's the tradition. Uh, that's the tradition, the, the nonviolent direct action. But that doesn't mean that um, their their nonviolent direct action is to delay the process of construction, and they their hope is for the mainland Japanese citizens and probably the U.S. citizens to stop and ch- to stop the plan and change the policy. Mm-hmm. So. It has to be. It has to be to be not supported, but it, their action has to 
be recognized and and understood. The meaning of that has to be understood by mainland Japanese who you know right. who are much larger, and more so by the U.S. citizen. I would say, it's, right. after all, this is your military, right? Exactly. And, but it's interesting how even on the mainland Japan, like my my Japanese tutor is um, from Tokyo, and she's like, there's no media coverage whatsoever um, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on the mainland about any of this resistance, and obviously nothing at all mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably most most mm-hmm. Americans don't know about any resistance. Maybe mm-hmm. they know about the bases because they know someone who's been there. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I think you may be right that that. People need to know more about this in order to to um, <laughs> to combat it. Yeah. Um, is there anything yeah. else you would like to to leave with us um, before we go? Um, well, like you said, I um, I want I would I hope more U.S. citizens um, starting to know what has been going on. Outside the United States, mm-hmm. um, what has been done by your military outside the United States? Yeah, and I think it's you know I think your program is is a very good way to 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 make it happen. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio at 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. And that was um, Professor Kozue Akibayashi of Doshisha University in Kyoto, Japan. And um, our topic today, we've been discussing um, resistance against U.S. military bases uh, in Okinawa. Um, And the resistance continues. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to read this, not read this, but sort of tell this little story before we go to really connect the resistance in Okinawa to the rest of the world in that um, there were a group of protesters that were on a bus to Takai Village. So Takai Village is um, a little bit outside of Naha, which is the capital of Okinawa. And that's where like Agent Orange was uh, dropped and sprayed on. And, um, and there's like this like jungle training that the U.S. military, the Marines do. And it's just, they're, they're you know, They've impacted Takai Village not only in, in terms of human on humans' lives, but also the environment. And so these, these, this group goes, um, I think they go every week. And, um, and it was in September of last year, a local newspaper was being passed around on the bus. And the headline was, Another Takai in America, with the photo of the Sioux water protectors at Standing Rock. And this was being passed around. And someone on the bus scribbled on top with red ink, Water is Life. And then a woman um, on the bus uttered, It's the same struggle everywhere. And I think that's such an important thing to think about is that yes there is this struggle going on in Okinawa but it 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 is connected to the struggles of indigenous people here in the United States and to us water is life um so yeah and that's so important um looking back at the history of Japanese resistance to the military bases um it really has been a 
widespread movement across all different sectors of society seeing the commonality of struggle Absolutely. and um I think about Vieques and them being pushing the military, the U.S. military. Well, I guess they didn't actually push the military, U.S. military out, but they stopped, got the uh, bombs to stop being practiced there. Their yeah. facilities still exist, and there's yeah. still a struggle to um, redevelop the land for the people. And it's a super fun site, by the way. Yeah. Um, but that was really powerful because it was people moving, social movements in the United States joining up with social movements in Puerto Rico. And I, mm-hmm. um, I th- hear Professor Kozuye's uh, call for action here in the United States as being extremely important and for something for us to really consider how do we link up all these struggles. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, before we go out, we'd like to thank um, Prof- Professor Reiko Kato, um, who is sort of a friend of a lot of us here um she she went to school here locally in brattleboro so she's been here and at umass amherst um she had connected us to professor um kozue akibayashi and we'd also like to thank um miss akibayashi um and all our listeners and so this has been indigo radio um on the brattleboro community radio station 107.7 fm uh, make sure you check out our facebook page um later on we will upload some the songs links to the songs links to articles um, and videos if you want to learn more about um, resistance against U.S. military bases in Japan. Um, this show will be uploaded on SoundCloud and, and on our Facebook and on iTunes. And, and so next week, um, we'll be, there will be a group of us attending the National Day of Mourning in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And we'll bring back stories and interviews from that day to play on our show next week. And I hope you all keep in mind that on the day that is typically called Thanksgiving, that it's actually a national day of mourning. And so please bring those conversations about the truth of the genocide against Native Americans, but also continued resistance to your family conversations. And we're going to head out with um, the continuation of Keisuke Kuwata's Heiwa no Kyuka. <laughs> Hito to shite ikiru no